This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Generation Anthropocene is supported by Stanford School of Earth, Energy, and Environmental Sciences. Find out more at earth.stanford.edu. We're also supported by Worldview Stanford, whose mission is to create interdisciplinary learning experiences for professionals. To learn more about Worldview, visit worldview.stanford.edu. 4.6 billion. The Earth forms. Cambrian. 542 million. Complex life explodes. Permian Triassic. 251 million. 90% of species die. Cretaceous tertiary. 65 million. Meteor kills the dinosaurs. 55 million. Primates appear. 2.3 million. Pleistocene. 200,000. Humans. 20,000. Agricultural. 250. Industrial revolution. Great acceleration. The Anthropocene. Welcome to Generation Anthropocene, where we tell stories of people, the planet, and people on the planet. I'm Mike Osborne, and today we're going to shine a spotlight on one of the most underappreciated elements on the periodic table, atomic number 15, chemical symbol P. Yes, I'm talking about phosphorus. Phosphorus is critical to life as we know it. It's not an exaggeration to say that life on Earth literally would not exist without it. And it's especially important in our modern food systems. However, at the current rate of consumption, it's possible we could run out. Here to tell the story of peak phosphorus is producer Leslie Chang. Modern agricultural systems operate like an assembly line, and one of the critical inputs is phosphorus. It's an essential ingredient in chemical fertilizers, and our global food system, for all its strengths and weaknesses, would not be possible without this element. But we are burning through phosphorus reserves at an alarming rate. More specifically, we're depleting the cheap and easily accessible supply of phosphate rock. Donna Cordell is a professor at the University of Technology in Sydney, Australia, and she has spent the past few years studying the global phosphorus cycle. What some of the uh, several different studies have now shown is that we could reach peak phosphorus um, this century. And while there is some dispute about the actual timeline, um, there is an understanding that um, really we have used up the good stuff and, and we are um, entering a new era of increased scarcity of, of phosphate and increased um, costs associated with that. For much of history, farmers used manure and guano to improve crop yields. But as large-scale agriculture ramped up in the 20th century, it became standard procedure in many developed countries to apply large quantities of phosphorus-laden industrial fertilizers. And for the most part, that practice continues to this day. 
To meet the global demand, though, the vast majority of phosphorus comes from non-renewable geologic deposits. The phosphate rock that is available in the ground has taken around 10 to 100 millions of years um, to form. And what we're seeing is that we're, we're mining up the good stuff, um, as with any non-renewable resource, it's not just particular to phosphorus. And that means that what's left is a, a much lower quality, so the concentration of phosphorus is a lot lower. And it also means that our access to those um, reserves is in decline. The way we use phosphorus is also inefficient. When you step back and look at the whole chain, from mining to fertilizers to farming to food processing to eating, there's loss and waste throughout, and ecosystems around the world are feeling the effects. Steve Carpenter is a professor at the University of Wisconsin, and he studies the environmental consequences of phosphorus entering our lakes and rivers. We're dumping too much phosphorus onto Earth's surface. And on average, it's causing serious problems with the quality of our fresh waters. So it's resulting in anoxic events, fish kills, a loss of utility of that water for municipal use, for drinking, for industry. And in many cases, it's leading to toxic blooms of cyanobacteria that threaten human health. Cyanobacteria are the primary organism responsible for harmful algal blooms that deplete oxygen from ecosystems. This means that almost nothing else can survive. The process is called eutrophication. And phosphorus is the principal cause of freshwater eutrophication. Uh, freshwaters are extremely sensitive to oversupply of phosphorus, and they respond very sharply to even small increases in phosphorus supply. Eutrophication is not limited to lakes and rivers. It's also a problem in estuaries and coastal systems. Fertilizer runoff carries large quantities of phosphorus and nitrogen to the shallow oceans, where algal blooms lead to dead zones. In oceans and on the continents, ecosystems are being pushed towards tipping points that they may never recover from. If you enrich a lake past a tipping point, it becomes self-sustaining in eutrophication. So even if you turn off the input, it may not recover or it may take a long, long time to recover simply because of that internal cycling. So that's one uh, tipping point that we try to stay away from. A second kind of tipping point that we worry about is the tipping point where soils are so enriched with phosphorus that it would take hundreds of years to get the phosphorus levels back to normal. With all these environmental problems, you would think that we would be more judicious in our application of phosphorus on our farms. And to be fair, in developed countries, many farmers are taking important steps towards better management. However, some regions will be dealing with the environmental legacy of excessive phosphorus for generations. Ironically, though, there are still many places in the world where soils remain phosphorus deficient. Here's Donna Cordell again particularly in, in parts of sub-Saharan Africa, where um, you have both natural, naturally low soil fertility and also under-application of fertilizers. Um, there's a really strong need to boost uh, crop yields and productivity in those areas through um, increased use of nutrients like phosphorus and, and nitrogen and potassium as well. 
So, since many countries still have a need for industrial fertilizers, what are the current dynamics of supply and demand? Can the developing countries actually access the phosphorus they need? Well, historically, prices were pretty stable, but in recent years, there have been unexpected fluctuations in the market. The price of phosphate rock was tracking roughly around 50 US dollars a ton, and then in 2008 we saw a surprise and quite severe price spike of, of 800%, and that did take the world by surprise. And so while prices did come down、um, somewhat after that in, in 2009, we have seen that there's a steady incline in phosphate prices since. And we know that、um, the era of cheap fertilisers will be over, and we are likely to see more of these、uh, short-term price spikes in the future. We just can't predict when they will occur. Part of what complicates all this is the geography of phosphate deposits around the world. In fact, there are very few countries that hold commercial reserves. So while we remember that、um, all farmers in the world need access to phosphorus. Just five countries control about 88% of the world's remaining phosphate rock, and、um, the biggest players there are Morocco, China, Algeria, Syria, and South Africa. And Morocco alone controls three quarters of the world's、um, remaining phosphate rock, and so this creates very significant geopolitical risks in relation to potential supply disruptions and price fluctuations for most of the world. Suppose there were political problems that shut off Morocco. And、uh, suppose those coincided with other political problems that shut off some of the other、uh, suppliers. We could end up with a real shortage of phosphorus. So, given all of that—the environmental, economic, and political risks—what solutions are on the table? If we were to get organized around better management of phosphorus, what would that look like? What we're seeing is that about 80% of phosphorus is lost between mine and、um, and farm and fork. But this actually creates a, an opportunity where we can、um, find intervention points to reduce those、um, current losses and inefficiencies, and also look to recover phosphorus and recycle it from wastes. So whether that's waste in the mining and fertilizer process, or、um, on farm, or during food processing, we can we can recover that phosphorus. And there's high tech and low tech options and everything in between. But the important point here is that、um, what works in one country or one context might not work in another. So there's no one single solution here. We will have to bring online a whole range of different technologies and practices that might help meet the future phosphorus demand for that particular country or region. While it's reassuring to know that there are a whole menu of options for creating better management practices, the environmental consequences of excessive phosphorus continue to add up. It is ironic that a resource that is rare and is limiting food production for humans in much of Africa is hyperabundant and is severely polluting the fresh waters of Americans. But that's the way it is, and wealth is distributed around the world in one way, and phosphate rock is distributed around the world in、uh, ways that are out of whack with the way wealth is distributed. Like a lot of environmental problems we face today, it's hard to know where and how to begin dealing with peak phosphorus. This problem will play out over years to decades, but in the meantime, we still have to feed billions of people. So the question is: Can we accomplish that without exhausting a limited natural resource and causing widespread environmental destruction?
right now, most people have never even heard about peak phosphorus. So clearly, we have a long way to go. Our show is produced by Miles Traer, Leslie Chang, and me, Mike Osborne. Our theme music is by Maserati. We want to thank Pam Madsen, Dean of Stanford School of Earth Energy and Environmental Sciences. We also want to thank Tom Hayden. This episode was recorded at KZSU Stanford 90.1. Our website is genanthro.com, and you can find us on Twitter, at genanthropocene. That's it for this week. Thank you as always, and we'll see you next time.